you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to John's Gospel, the fourth chapter again this morning. It's good to see all of you here. So thankful the Lord has brought us together to worship Him this morning and to hear from His Word. Let me back up and read what we went through in great detail last Lord's Day. Reading down through verse 14, beginning in verse 7 this morning, so that we have the entirety of the picture up to this point. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? since I am a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. She said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get? that living water. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him A well of water springing up to life eternal. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, seal this Word now to our hearts. Holy Spirit, make use of it as a weapon of piercing and dividing in your own hands. Piercing to the deepest part of our very being. Discerning the thoughts and the intents of our own heart. You know us better than we know ourselves. Therefore, Holy Spirit, we are dependent upon You to do a work that we are not even capable of comprehending the need that exists for it. And so work in us as You know best how by Your Word so that You alone receive all the honor and the glory for it. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, this man at the well, For His sake and for His name, we pray. Amen. In the mid-17th century, a man by the name of Samuel Crossman penned these words that have become a hymn. The hymn title is, My Song is Love Unknown. And the hymn begins this way, My song is love unknown. My Savior's love to me. Love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake, my Lord, should take frail flesh and die? Such could be the favorite hymn or the life song of the woman at the well in Sychar. The woman who Jesus meets in this strange land of Samaria. 
And in verses 11 through 14, as we look at it this morning, the, the tide of conversation begins to turn and the waves of Christ's love for her begin to pound against her very soul. Her mind begins to be broken down and eroded by the grace and the love and the mercy that is in this man Jesus. If you look back at verse 7 this morning of John chapter 4, we find that this particular event in Jesus' ministry begins with Jesus asking for hospitality. He commands from her, you remember, a drink of water. That command for hospitality, a a drink from her, now changes as it develops into the text the further we go. And he begins to say to her, not only do I command a drink from you, not only do I require hospitality from you, but I, I, I say to you, woman, that if only you knew who I was, if only you knew, If only you could comprehend what is before you. If only you could comprehend. You would be asking of a drink from me. A drink of a different kind altogether. And this leads to great confusion in this woman's life as we've already read. But in the midst of that confusion, Jesus, before He can present this great gift that is yet unknown to her offers two caveats in these verses in verses 11 through 14 we find jesus giving two caveats a gift or love yet unknown to this woman jesus gives two caveats before she can fully grasp and comprehend the gift she is about to be given and those caveats are these number one there's a caveat of confirmation or clarification a caveat of clarification and then secondly a caveat of confirmation jesus first needs to clarify something before this woman can receive the gift that he is about to bestow upon her how many of you have somebody like this in your life probably most of you do christmas time is coming and there will no doubt be gifts exchanged and there are certain people in our family who, who when they hand you the gift always hand you the gift with a caveat because they're kind and wonderful people and they say something like this. Now listen, if it doesn't fit, which I'm never quite sure how to take that, you can take it back. Or if you don't like it, you're welcome to take it back. I just saw it and I thought of you and I thought you might enjoy it. So here's a caveat, right? Don't feel bound to the gift. Or they'll say something like this. Now, I think you're really going to like this. I think this is going to be really meaningful. I think it's going to be helpful to you. Both my father and brother-in-law are engaged in construction projects on homes right now. I know that if I get tools for Christmas, they're really going to be excited about that, right? This woman, Jesus, issues some clarification, some caveats in order to clarify things for her so that she is able to receive what He's about to give her. 
This woman has two obstacles that she is now trying to overcome. Having had the the previous conversation in verses 7 through 10, she's confused. There There are obstacles, there are roadblocks in front of her. And Jesus needs to remove those. Jesus seeks to uh, clarify for her the truth surrounding her confusion. On the heels of being asked for a drink, she is then immediately told that she should be the one asking. Now that's a little confusing, isn't it? Jesus asked her, and then as soon as he asked her, he turns the tables and says, but you know, you really should be asking me. That's going to cause an obstacle for anybody. You're going to begin to wonder, are you, do you know what you're asking? Do you know what you're saying? Are, 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 are you okay? There's confusion in her mind, and Jesus continues the conversation. It's not until we get to verses 11 through 14 that Jesus starts to clarify those for her jesus own words have created the barriers in the middle of the road if you will he has asked for a drink and then told her she should be the one asking for a drink and and so some of this is on jesus it's a little murky and a little confusing at this point and Jesus knows it has created confusion. But Jesus sets it up anyway so that he can come in and use the opportunity to teach this woman. So that he can impart to her saving truth, sovereign truth. The first obstacle that has to be removed is the obstacle of ability. Jesus asks for a drink. He then says, you know, you really ought to be getting a drink from me, not me from you. No, the woman is immediately confused, isn't she? Look at verse 11. She says, sir, sir, you have nothing to draw with. That's why you asked me in the first place, remember? You're not traveling with your bucket today. You have no rope long enough on your person or about your person to get to the where the water in the bottom of the well is. Sir, you don't have the ability. She assumes, as we all would, that Jesus is speaking about water from a well. She naturally assumes, that, and by the way, this is a, a good case for the literal interpretation of Scripture. She just assumes that if Jesus is sitting by a well and he's talking about water from a well and he's talking about living water, surely it's got to be from the well, right? She's, she's doing good exposition in context. And so she's confused. She naturally assumes that this well that is charged and kept alive by underground springs and that underground river flowing through that area that that surely this is the water jesus speaks of when he says it's living water it's not a stagnant well we all know that and she addresses this obstacle that jesus as it were has sovereignly put in the way for the time being she she rightly reasons and Justly so, that this well is some 100 feet deep. 
That's a long way down. That's a long way to lower a bucket. And there's certainly no way you're going to get water without that bucket on a rope. And yet Jesus says, you know, you really ought to be getting a drink from me. How is that going to happen? You don't have the ability. How can I drink if you can't even extract? If you can't bring it up, how am I supposed to drink it? Her response is respectful, though confused. Notice what she says. She says, sir. Sir, you you have nothing to draw with it. The, The word sir here can also be translated Lord. Curios. But in the context, it's better to take it as simply sir, a term of respect, because she, at this point, does not view him as the Lord Jesus Christ. He is simply a man. And showing respect to this man, she addresses him in her confusion respectfully. Can you imagine the woman's puzzled mind? This guy is crazy. He asked me for a drink, and then he says, I should be getting the drink from him. He's got no bucket, and he's got no rope. I'll be nice anyway, sir. Listen, you have nothing to draw. You have no ability to execute what you speak of. It just isn't possible. Jesus, you have no ability to do what you're speaking of. The second obstacle then becomes this. It's an obstacle of identity. This man who sits here claims to be one who can give me living water that I desperately need, and yet he possesses nothing. So here's the problem with the identity. If you were to be able to do that, you would, in her words, be greater than our father Jacob. Jacob has, remember for the Samaritans as well as the Jews, a high status in their mind. He is a hero to them. He is almost a miracle worker for them. And so she, she says to him, so if you could do this, you would be greater than our father Jacob, but you're not. We all know Jacob, sir, and you're no Jacob. You, 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 don't, you don't match his qualifications. After all, look what Jacob did for us. Jacob himself gave us this well. He dug this well. He watered himself and his sons and his cattle by this well. Who are you, sir? Who are you? And really, isn't that the question that the next, the next number of chapters in the Gospel of John are going to ask, Who are you, Jesus? Who are you? All the way through chapter 12, Jesus is repeatedly met by this roadblock, this obstacle as to His identity. Who is this man? We know no one teaches like Him. We know no one does things like Him. We know that He knows things that no one else knows. Who is He? Thankfully, 
the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, has written this entire gospel to do just that, to introduce who this man is to us. Now notice this about this woman. Her skepticism is not one of a hardened, atheistic, militant type, but that of an unknowing, fallen sinner. She simply doesn't know what she doesn't know. Notice how she approaches Jesus. It's not through accusation, it's through question. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? She's not angered with him, she's not turned against him. She just says, you're not, are you? And, and here we see for the first time, we see that the door is cracking. Jesus is pushing the door open. Jesus is unafraid to set up the situation and to say the things that He has said, even though they seem humanly speaking to present obstacles. Jesus is not afraid to do that. Why? Because he knows he can push the door open anytime he pleases. And he'll use the tools that he is pleased to use in order to do that. Jesus is not deterred. How different this is than our evangelism today where we, we seek to make everything so bottom shelf, so simple, so easy that we water down the gospel and we make Jesus just another impotent man who is begging you to hurry up. And believe the lowest common denominator about him so that you know, we can tally you as a number in our church statistics of evangelism. It's not what Jesus does here. Jesus is willing to have long and drawn out conversations. Jesus is willing to confuse the, the, the woman's human intuitions for a moment that he might break through with sovereign revelation. And so she says, you're not greater than Jacob, are you? Already she's beginning to see things different about Jesus as opposed to any other man. Her mind is beginning to change. Now if you could do that with no rope, in no bucket, in a depth of 100 feet, you would be greater than our father Jacob. Nobody is disputing that. Jacob is the father of her people. Jacob, by this well, has been the provider for her people for generation after generation after generation. It has watered them as well as their livestock that were necessary to survive and to remain alive. We, we know what that would be like living in this part of the country, you don't survive long without water. And it takes someone leading you to water who has provided water for you to stay alive. She is skeptical that this stranger, this man, could do it, but if he could, it has certain implications. And those implications are simply this. You are greater than our father Jacob. This woman in John chapter 4 is so much like Nicodemus in John 3. 
They're both trying to understand heavenly truths that Jesus is presenting with earthly illustrations. They're trying to make sense of that so that they in turn can make use of that. More precisely, this woman, like Nicodemus, is curious as to the source of what Jesus is saying. Remember back in in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, he was confused and he was wondering where the source of the new birth comes from. You remember that? He says, well, do I go back into my mother's womb a second time so that I can be born again? And Jesus says, you don't get it at all. That's not the source of the new birth. The new birth comes from above. Not below. This woman is curious as to the source of living water. Well, if it's not down there, where's it from? If that isn't what it is, I don't know what it is. Where is the source of this living water? Both Nicodemus and this woman in this case are yet to experience that the answer lies not in the thing itself, The source is not the water. The the source is not the water itself. The source is, is not necessarily the experience of the new birth. The source is the one giving it. And both in Nicodemus' case and in this woman's case, the source is right in front of them. The source is Jesus. He is the living water. He is the author of the new birth. He is the sovereign God of their salvation. And herein, brothers and sisters, is great meaning and great application for all of us. Our hearts search and long for so many different things. We have tried, haven't we, as human beings, fallen and broken by sin, have we not tried so many different ways to find answers to fill the gaps, to understand, to find sources that can meet our needs. There are so many things offered to us, pushed on us, both devised by our own flesh and by the world around us. And in doing so, like Nicodemus, who used his academy training to find the answers like this woman sitting in a well who uses her history to try to find lessons and meaning both ignore as do we in those moments the one singular unique person right in front of us who is the answer it's jesus christ He's the one and only source. He is the one right answer to all questions. We chuckle with our little ones, don't we? Around the age of two, three, four, five, six. You ask them a question and the answer that they've learned to say is Jesus. Any question you ask, what's the answer? Jesus. And we in our adulthood, so sophisticated by our learning, we smile at that, we write it in their baby books. 
we record it on our cell phones for posterity's sake. Because we think it's so cute and, and thinking it's so cute, we forget that they're actually right. Jesus is the source of all things. For this woman, she's looking at a physical well and she neglects to understand that Jesus is the one who created the well. That, that Jesus is the one that spoke the world into existence. That separated the water from the sky. That, that made all that is in it. It is His world. Uh, she, she neglects to understand that Jesus by His very Word and the Word of His power sustains all things. And at the very next beat of her heart and breath that she takes and word from her mouth is held in the hand of this sovereign King. She doesn't see it yet. But it's the truth. And so quite literally, the source of all things is Jesus. It's not just cute when our kids say it. It's the reality because the Bible conveys it throughout. There is folly and futility in all of us when we think that anything less or anything more than Jesus is the answer to our questions. It's not sophistication. It's not learning. It's not years of experience. It's folly and futility to think that Jesus can be replaced by anything. Greater or lesser. Jesus can't be replaced by our experience. Jesus can't be replaced by our programs. Jesus can't be replaced by the the next best-selling self-help book. Jesus can't be replaced by good friends. Jesus can't be replaced even by the church. Jesus can't be replaced. He is the source of everything. And so Jesus, in talking with this woman, no doubt by His words, has created confusion through these obstacles. But then Jesus clarifies them. Lady, you need to understand this, that it is a question of ability, but I have it. It is a question of identity, but I am greater than the identity that you are imagining. Dear lady, I am the answer. And this then leads Jesus in verses 13 and 14 to cause us to consider the caveat that He makes of confirmation. Jesus confirms Himself. He confirms who He is. In confirming His superiority over Jacob, which Jesus, He's just about to do. We're not there yet, but He's just about to do. Jesus first talks about the contrast between what she is thinking and what He is talking about. Jesus' answer is direct. Look at verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water... Hey, look down the hole. Look down the hole. You see that water down there? Everyone who drinks this water will thirst in the future again. 
And given that it's the heat of the day, it probably won't take long. She's going to get thirsty very quickly. And Jesus says, you drink that water, that is exactly what is going to happen. You will thirst again because of this water. The idea that Jesus is presenting here is perpetual. Ongoing thirst. Thirst that can't be quenched. It's like probably most of us after Thursday, when we took in all of that healthy food that that is so healthy we can only eat it once a year and the older you get, you can't eat as much of it without, without great harm. But, but what happens, for me at least, and probably for you, by Thursday night, I'm thirsty. But by Friday, I'm really thirsty. Why? Because I ate so much salt. I just have to keep drinking more and more, right? It's like drinking water out of the ocean. The more you drink, the more you have to drink. Why? Because it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't work. The salt creates an addiction for more. That's why sodas are so addicting. Did you know that? Everybody, well, don't drink soda. You know, soda's got so much sugar. It's bad for you. It's actually the sodium that's worse. They load sodas with sodium. Why? Because the more you drink, the more you want to drink. The salt causes craving. And Jesus says, that's what your well's doing for you. Hey, Christian, any well other than Jesus will never satisfy you. Don't go looking. Sinner, you're here. You've never met Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't know what I'm even talking about this morning. You're still lost in your sin. Don't go looking for other wells. It's just salt. It's just going to cause you to have to keep coming back and back and back and drinking. Jesus says to her very plainly, you drink this water, you will thirst again. And what a problem for this woman. What a problem for her. What a dilemma for her. Remember who she is? She's the woman of many husbands. Remember why she's at the well in the heat of the day? Because she's ashamed to come with other women. She's an outcast of her society. And Jesus says, you keep drinking this water, you're going to have to keep dealing dealing with the embarrassment of coming to the well time after time after time. That's your dilemma. You hate coming here because you'll be seen here. Because people will remember that you're here. Because people will remember what you did to their home. Men will remember what you were like having been married to. It's a disaster in this little village. But yet here you are. Coming back day after day after day. To drink of water that will never satisfy you. It's religion without Christ. 
Listen, some of you may be here this morning and you may have been in church for your entire life, but you don't know Christ. And it's just a religious game that you just have to keep repeating and repeating and repeating so that you have some sense of temporary or superficial relief. You haven't drunk from the well. You may have been by it. You may have been all around it. You may have heard about it. Everybody you know may have drunk from this well, but you've never drunk from this well. Your religious cravings are met for just a moment. They're, 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 they're satisfied for just the briefest of moments. And then you're thirsty again. Requiring more. Only Jesus will satisfy you. Only Jesus will meet those deepest needs and longings. Reminds me somewhat of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, when he writes to the, to the great condemnation of the false teachers and false believers in his day. He said they are always learning and yet never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Religion doesn't satisfy, only Christ satisfies. Now look at verse 13. Uh, verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 14. Jesus says there's two options here. You can drink this water and continually be thirsty, continually deal with your guilt, continually have to have more and more to satisfy. More experience. More feeling. Or, but... Whoever drinks of the water I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water. Not just to drink, a well of water springing up to eternal life. Dear lady, if you want a drink, if you want a gift, that does not repeat the same folly over and over again, there is a solution. You don't have to be ashamed anymore. But you've got to drink from the right well. I'm telling you, there is a well. You've just not tasted it yet. You need to drink of something entirely different than what you think you need. Something that I and I alone can give you. Now Jesus' words in this verse are quite startling. Look at verse 14 again. There are two things about this verse that you need to make note of. Maybe circle them or underline them in your Bible. Jesus speaks of a different kind of drink. A drink He gives. Whereas the drink you got from this well is, is portrayed as an ongoing drink, you must keep drinking. Jesus says, but when you drink of the water I give, you will drink one time. In the original language, it's quite vivid. The first verse in verse 
uh, 13 is one who's just constantly, I can't get enough. Give me more, 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 more. The volume is massive. But in verse 14, it is just a sip. It's all you need. Just a drink. One time and then you'll never thirst again. It's a once for all action. You sip from this well once, you're good. You keep lapping and lapping and guzzling and guzzling from the other well, you'll never be satisfied. How is that? Because of the sufficiency of the source. That's the real question here is, what is the source of this life? Remember, Jesus isn't here on earth to tell neat stories about water wells. He's not here to make cute metaphors. He's here to make Himself known. This is just one way in which He is doing that. You must drink from the right source. Only this source will satisfy you. Only this source will give you water heretofore unknown to mere mortals. You can drink and drink and drink from the other one. You'll never be satisfied. You take a sip from this well and you will never, no never, thirst again. We don't get it carried over into our English translations well here. But Jesus uses a double negative. Now how many of you remember from grammar classes as a child, you're not supposed to use a double negative, right? And the teacher slashes through it with her red pencil and says, you know, didn't you listen at all? John didn't. Because he uses a double negative here. It literally reads this way. And I will give, that, that I will give him shall no, never thirst again. Ever, ever thirst again. In, in fact, the other part of this verse that doesn't translate well into English is this. It will never, no, never thirst into eternity. We just translate it again. John writes it, you will never, no, never thirst all the way into eternity, you'll never thirst. No, that is met at the end of verse 14 when they, translators actually do use the concept of eternal life. There's no possibility that this drink will be insufficient. So sufficient as the source who is Himself eternal that you will never thirst as long as He is alive. How secure is your salvation? It is as secure and durable as the one from whom it flows. And He is forever. Hebrews 13.8 Jesus Christ is the same. Say it with me. Yesterday, today, yesterday, and forever. So is your salvation then if it's sourced in Him. So, dear lady... You drink of the, you sip from this well. You you take the the smallest. My grandmother in in her West Texas vernacular, you just take a swig. Just just a swig, just a, just a taste of this water, and never, 
No, never for all eternity will you ever thirst again because you have the source. The language is so beautiful, so vivid. Not for all eternity will you need another drink. Instead, this living water will become so overly satisfying in you. Notice what he says. It will become so overly satisfying in you that it will become in you a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now not only are we sitting by a well, talking about a well, He's now telling her you will become the well. You'll become the conduit through which this source will flow. And it will be springing up into everlasting life. It's just going to ooze forth from you what Christ has done in you. It's a leaping fountain. How many of you have seen leap fountains? You know, where it shoots the water up and then another little pond catches it and then it shoots it to the next one. That's the picture. It is an eruption. Eternal life is not a stagnant well with moss growing on the top. It is in our lives a leap fountain. It is gushing forth. It is a geyser of grace. It is explosive, it is refreshing, it is unending. This week as we got out our Christmas decorations, we have one of those, I don't know what you call it, viewfinder maybe, where, where the kids look through it. Kids, if you don't have one of these, you need to tell your parents to get you one. You put a little disc in, you remember adults, with the little, little squares of pictures and you click a lever and it rotates the pictures through. And Julianne is looking at one of national parks. It's, I don't know why it's in the Christmas box, but it is. And she says, Daddy, what's this? And it was Old Faithful. On time, every time, for who knows how many hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years this thing has been going since the flood. She says, what's this? I said, that's a fountain. And every hour on the hour, that thing explodes. That's like the gospel. That's like grace in us. Hey, once you drink of this well, it becomes, you just can't be pent up. Jesus is drawing off of the tradition of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 12, 1, We read this, Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. In Isaiah 44 Verses 3 and 4, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out My Spirit on your offspring and My blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. 
Isaiah 49.10, They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down, for He who has compassion on them will lead them and guide them to springs of water. How kind the Savior is that He takes a woman by a well and He does not condemn her although He does reveal her for the purpose of leading her to springs of living water. Isaiah 55, verse 1, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. It almost seems inappropriate To call what Christ invites us to as a well. So much more than a well. It's a glorious river. It's a geyser. It's a well. It's an ocean. The hymn writer captured it well. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth. Fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth. Deeper all the way. This is what Jesus is inviting this woman to. Not just a water well. But an overflowing, exploding well of His glorious Grace in salvation. All of Christ as the source. All of His gloriously unending person. Come to the waters of Christ. Come to the living water. You who have no money, don't worry about it. Your money's no good here. Come to the waters. Come to Me. Drink of Me and you will never, ever into eternity thirst again. That is a sufficient Savior. That is a glorious salvation. And He invites us, come. He commands us, come. It's often been said that the last words of human beings are often some of their most important. And those who've walked with the Lord for many years, those mature and godly saints, how sweet it is to go back and reflect on and remember some of their last words. Such is the case with James Montgomery Boyce, some of you know his name, one of the greatest expositors 
in our lifetimes. Shortly before he died at a very, really a young age of cancer, he penned this hymn entitled, Come to the Waters. Come to the waters, whoever is thirsty. Drink from the fountain that never runs dry. Jesus, the living one, offers you mercy. Life more abundant in boundless supply. Come to the river that flows through the city, forth from the throne of the Father and Son. Jesus, the Savior, says, Come and drink deeply. Drink from the pure, inexhaustible One. Come to the fountain without any money. Buy what is given without any cost. Jesus, the gracious one, welcomes the weary. Jesus, the selfless one, died for the lost. Come to the well of unmerited favor. Stretch out your hand. Fill your cup to the brim. Jesus is such a compassionate Savior. Draw from the grace that flows freely from Him. Come to the Savior, the God of salvation. God has provided an end to sin's strife. Why will you suffer the law's condemnation? Take the free gift of the water of life. I don't know that there would be a better invitation than what Dr. Boyce wrote. Come to the fountain. Come to the waters. And take the free gift of the water of life. This gift so beautifully defined by our Lord in these short four verses was a gift unknown to that woman in that moment. But it is a gift well explained to us and to her. And so now I invite you, come. If you've never come to Christ to bring your sin to Him for forgiveness, come and bring your sin to Him. Let the fountain of living water wash away your sin. Once and for all. For all of eternity. Come to the well. Christian, have you been to the well? Then stay by the well. Stay by what saved you. Stay by Him who not only saves, but keeps you. And don't be tempted away by the salty junk of your own heart. To attempt to find satisfaction somewhere else other than Jesus. Stay by Jesus. He is the well of living water. May He burst forth in us in unending praise. Let's pray. Father, this is Your Word. I pray that You would use it for Your purposes that end in Your glory. And because You are a God of grace, also to our unending good. If there's one here this morning who says, I know I'm a sinner. I've been convinced of that fact. 
and I don't know what to do. I, I, it, this is so new or unfamiliar to me. Father, cause them to have the courage to come and ask after this service is over, show me more about this well of living water. Cause them to know who Jesus is. Holy Spirit, make Christ supreme, magnified and clear to them. that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed are those who trust in Him. Father, for those of us who have been to the well of Christ and His sufficiency, may we never grow tired of drinking from Him. Lord Jesus, when we do, it is not a lack in You. It is a telling of a lack in us of our old man of our old desires springing to the surface yet again but may we quickly recognize those for what they are and run from them and run to jesus run to you lord that we might continually be reminded of what you said that in us having drunk there is a everlasting well springing up to your glory and our joy. May Christ, may you be praised and worshipped and honored, glorified with all that is within us. Because the reality is, for us as Christians, all that is in us is you. All that is good is You. So may we praise You alone. Be with us now, Lord, as we partake from Your table. May these truths saturate our minds and our hearts. And as we handle the elements, both the bread without leaven that represents Your sinless, perfect life, incarnate in human flesh. May we reflect on the high cost of our salvation. That it was necessary that You come and be made like Your brothers. Tempted in every point as we are yet without sin. So that You could offer a a clean and perfect and pure life to Your Father upon which rides the sins of all those who will believe in You. So that then the Father could punish You and pour out Your blood represented by the cup that we hold. The fierce anger of God's wrath squeezing the very lifeblood out of His own Son. Father, remind us You were pleased to bruise and crush Your Son for our salvation. And that though His human form was ground out and died, as God of very God, 
Lord Jesus, your eternal being continued on. Because only God could be both just in punishing sin as He did, surviving that punishment, and yet justifying others vicariously through that. May we be reminded of the high price of sin and of the punishment made and the price through Your blood that was paid, and yet that You still live. resurrected from the dead, glorified, seated at the right hand of your Father. Remind us of these things. The sin that made it necessary, the price that remedied that sin, and the hope of life eternal in Christ. So may we drink from that well as we do so this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.